know if you are a lover of books, if you like to read books. Maybe you like to read biographies, learn about other people's stories, learn about their lives, experience their lives through the book. Maybe you like to read biographies of missionaries, of Christians who have gone out and spread the word of God, the gospel, to the world. Perhaps a famous one is James Hudson Taylor. A missionary went out to China, stayed there about 50 years, I think he was, in China, and formed OMF, one of the international missionary organizations. Or perhaps you've read a book called Through the Gates of Splendor. This is one of my wife's personal favorites. And it's a story written by a lady called Elizabeth Elliot. Now, she had a husband called Jim Elliot, who Jim, along with some other men, went out to a tribe in the Amazonian jungle and tried to reach them for Christ, tried to share them the gospel. They went to the tribe, started some sort of relationship with them, but fortunately, after some time, they all got completely massacred by this tribe. Every single man was killed. What did the wives do of the men? They went out to that tribe. Elizabeth Elliot was one of them. The wife of Jim Elliot went out to that same tribe that killed her husband and continued to preach the gospel to them. And what happened? After some time, that tribe was converted. That tribe came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What great stories. Now, if someone was to write a book about our missionary journeys, about our missionary tales, what would they write? Would they write about someone who kept going for the gospel no matter what the personal cost? Or would it be a very short book? Would it even be a book? Would it be a paragraph? a sentence they led a comfortable life with no opposition no division would that be our story well in Acts 14 we kind of come again to Paul and Barnabas's missionary story their first missionary journey now we left them last week in Acts 13 being expelled from Pisidian Antioch for preaching the gospel So what happens? They get expelled from this region for preaching the gospel, for facing opposition. Do they go home? No. They continue on to another city called Iconium. We begin that in chapter 14. Where, what do they do? What does verse 1 tell us? They speak effectively. They speak boldly for the Lord. In other words, they've just been expelled from one region. They go along to the next city and they continue to preach the gospel. They do not give up. What do they speak of? Well, verse 7 tells us they preach the gospel. Verse 21, they preach the gospel. Verse 24, they preach the words. We read there, they preach the message of grace. This is what Paul, this is what Barnabas are preaching to the people in Iconium. And they keep going because they know it is worth it. And tonight, I want us to be encouraged to keep going, keep spreading the gospel, 
Maybe start to spread the gospel if you haven't done so already because it is worth it. And as we see in this chapter, when we do that, we are going to face a variety of responses, a variety of reactions. The first response we see in Acts 14 is opposition and division. Opposition and division. Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel in Iconium and read that the Jews who didn't believe start a smear campaign against them. They begin to poison the people in the city's minds against the brothers. Read that in verse 2. I'm sure we're not surprised to see this. If you've been with us through our study in Acts uh, on Sunday evenings, you'll have seen a lot of opposition against the gospel, a lot of also opposition against the apostles who preached the gospel. But what is Paul and Barnes' response to this opposition? We read, they speak boldly for the Lord. They keep on going despite the smear campaign against them. What happens next? City divided. We see some sides uh, of some people side with the unbelieving Jews, and we see the rest of people side with the apostles. They've got a city that has been divided because of the gospel. This is what happens when we share the gospel. The gospel can unite, but the gospel can also divide. Because when it comes to the gospel, there is no middle ground. There is no sitting on the fence. You either accept that the gospel is true, that you are a sinner, and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you don't. And you reject Jesus and the claims of the gospel. And that is exactly what we see here in Acts 14. Do we see that in our own lives? How the gospel can divide people? I've got a, a number of friends from my university days who aren't Christians. And when I spend time with them and when I eventually pluck up the courage to share the gospel with them, I see division. There's one uh, friend in particular who seems really interested in the gospel and wants to know more, keeps asking questions. But right next to him is my other friend who wants to hear no more who thinks that's just rubbish. That is just old news. That is just prehistoric. That is just a 2,000-year-old book. Why do you believe in that? I'm a sinner, really? You think I'm a sinner? No, no, I'm not. I want to hear no more. In my own group of friends, I can see the gospel dividing people. And this is what Paul and Barnabas see in the city. The city of Iconium is being divided by those who accept the gospel and those who don't. What do they do? They continue to preach the gospel. We see this uh, in the verse. They speak boldly for the Lord. And when they eventually hear of a plot to stone them, they simply leave the city, go to the next city, go to Lystra and Derby. And what do they do? They preach the gospel. Read that in verse 7. They continue to preach the good news. And in Lystra, we see a different reaction. Having gone from being slandered and rejected, we now see Paul and Barnabas being worshipped as gods. That's quite a 
different reaction, isn't it? From being opposed, being slandered, being forced to flee a city, they now worship as gods. Let's see what it says in verse 8. So when they go arrive at Lystra, Paul sees a lame man. Paul sees that he has faith to be healed. And so Paul heals him. How do the locals respond? Oh, this must be the gods come down to us. Gods come down in human form. Let's worship them. That's what we see here. They call Barnabas Zeus. They call Paul Hermes. And they begin to worship them. They put the bulls, they bring sacrifices to them. What did Paul and Barnabas do? What they don't do is they don't sit back and take this acclaim. They don't sit back and let them worship them as gods, like Herod did. For those who are here for Acts 12, you remember the story of Herod, sitting on his throne, being acclaimed as a god, doesn't correct them. And what happens? Herod is struck down and eaten by worms. Not so with Paul and Barnabas. When they finally work out what is going on, they tear their clothes and they rush out. And what do they do? The exact same as what they did before. They preach the gospel. Let's look at verse 15 together. They rush out and they say, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to a living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. That's the start of the gospel, isn't it? That's the start of a two ways to live presentation we see here. Now, it's quite an interesting point. I wonder, when we do tell people the gospel, when we do share with them the news about Jesus, how do we go about explaining it to people? We saw back in Acts 13, Paul preaching the gospel to Jews and to Gentiles who knew God. And he'd done that by sharing with them the scriptures. He basically used the Bible to tell them the gospel. Now, if Paul was to give that exact same speech to the people in Lystra, the pagans in Lystra, who did not know God and did not have the Bible, did not have scriptures, they'll be met by a wall of blank-looking faces. If they'd never read scripture, they would have no idea what Paul was on about. So instead, Paul tells them the gospel by explaining to it in concepts that the uh, Lyconians will understand that they can relate to. And in this case, Paul uses creation. So when it comes to telling people about Jesus, it's crucial that we meet them where they are at. If we are telling some, the gospel to someone who has never been to church, never went to Sunday school, knows none of the stories that we learn in Sunday school, which becomes increasingly the case, taking them to First Kings isn't exactly going to help them much, is it? No, rather, we meet them where they're at. We begin to explain the gospel in terms that they can understand, terms that they can relate to. For example, what if they don't see themselves as a sinner? I get this reaction quite a lot with my friends who I told you about, who I share the gospel with. It's all very well me telling them about Jesus and what a wonderful saviour he is because he died for our sins so that we, we need not pay the price for our sins, which is death, but what's their reaction going to be? Well, that's very good for you if you think yourself as a sinner. That's great, you've got Jesus, I'm happy for you, but me? 
I'm not a sinner. I don't need saving. So we have to go back and we have to explain how every single one of us is a sinner because we rejected God as our ruler of our lives. We have to meet them where they're at. And Paul meets the people in Lystra where they're at by pointing to creation as proof of the living God. But he does not change the message. The message is still turn away from worthless things and turn to the living God. So we should never change the heart of the gospel. So we should always begin where people are at, but make sure you end with Christ, who he himself is the good news. Now I've talked a lot already about this gospel. This gospel. But maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you're not a Christian. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, what on earth is this guy on about? Speaking about the gospel. What is this gospel? Well, can I encourage you to find out? Can I encourage you to ask someone what the gospel is? You can ask myself, you can ask Liam, you can ask the person who brought you here tonight. Because as Paul tells the people in Lystra, God is the living God. He is a God that is worthy to be worshipped. And he's shown himself to us through creation. So that none of us can ever say, well, I didn't know there was a living God. Romans tells us, another book in the Bible, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Elsewhere in the Bible, we're also told that God no longer overlooks our ignorance. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Read that in Acts, later on in Acts. So if you are not a Christian here tonight, please don't leave tonight without asking someone what the gospel is, without asking why they believe in a living creator God, without asking why they are a Christian. Ask someone. What have you got to lose by asking someone? Now, we hope we're beginning to see a pattern forming in Paul and Barnes' first missionary journey. We've seen them expelled from Pisidian Antioch. They moved on to Iconium and they preached the gospel. They faced opposition and slander and division. They spent more time there speaking boldly the gospel. They faced a potential stoning. So they flee to Lystra and they preach the gospel. And now they're worshipped as gods. And how they respond? They preach the gospel. We're beginning to see a pattern forming in Acts 14 here. See, nothing is stopping Paul and Barnabas from preaching the gospel. The faithful preaching of the gospel in face of all kinds of opposition. And that includes being stoned. Let's look with me at verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. So here we read the Jews 
have caught up with Paul and Barnabas. They stir up more trouble for them and they stone Paul. They hurl rocks at him until he goes unconscious. Thinking he's dead, they drag him out of the city and they leave him there. What happens next? What does verse 20 say? But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derbe, where they preached the good news in that city. He gets up after being stoned almost to death. And then they travel to Derby, which, by the way, is a full 60 miles trek. Imagine doing that the day after you were stoned. And they continue to preach the gospel. Not even a stoning can stop Paul from preaching the gospel. Paul and Barnabas just keep going. This faithful, committed, relentless desire to see the gospel preached no matter what they face or what happens to them. They keep preaching the gospel. Do we share that zeal, that passion, that desire? Or in our book, if it's ever to be written about us, will it read of someone who has given up? Someone who gave up because they lost a friend because of what they believed. Someone who gave up sharing the gospel because they faced verbal personal abuse. Someone who gave up telling people about Jesus because they got abuse on Twitter and Facebook do we give up sharing the gospel because things got a little bit awkward in the staff room because things got a bit uncomfortable in the canteen or do we give up because we just want a nice quiet comfortable life Paul and Barnabas do not have a nice quiet comfortable life not when you've been expelled from cities, fleeing cities for your lives, being stoned almost to death. That doesn't sound very comfortable to me. But what are they doing? They're preaching the gospel. In the UK today, in Edinburgh, we don't face quite the opposition that they're facing there. We don't face stonings. I wonder if that's because we have forgotten to share the gospel because we've given up telling people about Jesus because we wanted that nice comfortable quiet life and I wonder if we all shared the gospel more told more people about Jesus would we face that sort of persecution it's a thought isn't it Do we give up because we don't want to face the opposition? We don't want to face the division. We don't want to face persecution. Or do we keep going like Paul and Barnabas does because we know that the cost is worth it? Because we know that the personal cost of seeing more people come to believe in faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is more glorious, more wonderful, more joyful than all the hurt and the pain that we have to go through to get there. Paul is right with what he says in verse 22. You must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He should know. He just almost got stoned to death. But he doesn't give up. He keeps on preaching the gospel because he knows it is worth it. So before we give up, 
before we decide enough is enough, what is the result of this first missionary journey? What is the result of all this preaching of the gospel? Is it actually worth it to keep on going? Well, look at verse 1. Let's go back to start again. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Verse 4, read of their division, but also read that some people did side with the apostles. They did believe. Verse 21, they won a large number of disciples. People were being saved. More souls were being won for Christ because Paul and Barnabas kept preaching the gospel. Despite the opposition, despite the division, despite the stonings, they kept on going and people were saved. Souls were being won for Christ. But it gets even more exciting than that. We come to perhaps the most encouraging section of the passage towards the end. See, not only do we have a large number believing in the gospel, but we also see churches being planted and we see churches growing. You see, after Derby, uh, Paul and Barnabas decide to make their way home. And the journey they take home is the exact same route that they took going. Okay, so they, they trace their steps all the way back again. And as they each reach each city, there they strengthen and there they encourage the disciples. And not just one or two. But they're strengthening and they're encouraging church, plant, eh, church plants. See, this time their mission is no longer about evangelism, but one of strengthening and encouraging. We see this towards the end of, the, of uh, this chapter. How do we know there's growing church plants there? Because Paul and Barnabas appoint or establish church elders, church leadership teams. Look at verse 23, where it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Here we see a plurality of local elders appointed to shepherd these new disciples, to encourage these new believers, to teach them about Jesus. As a church, we're thinking about becoming a church planting church. What an excellent pattern to follow. Establishing indigenous local elders in the churches that we plant. And we're going to look a bit further about that later on this evening. But I've got one final encouragement for why we should keep going and not give up. Why we should keep going telling people the good news about Jesus. We may well be sitting there thinking tonight, well, that's all very well for Paul and Barnabas to achieve all that. To have many come to faith, many people believe, to plant many churches, that's great. But they're apostles. This is Paul we're talking about, the great Paul who practically wrote half of the New Testament. It's great for him. But what about me? I'm just a member of a local church. I'm not an apostle. I certainly didn't write any of the Bible. What can I do? Well, when Paul and Barnabas finally return to their sending church in Antioch, they give a report. Now, where do you think the emphasis of this report is with? Let's read it in verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door to the faith of faith 
to the Gentiles. They talk about God. The emphasis of the report is on God. Paul and Barnabas' report does not say, come on guys, look at what we achieved. You picked the right guy to send out because look at what we have done. No. They make it very clear who accomplished these things, who should receive the glory. God. It was God working through Paul and Barnabas that made this first missionary journey a success. It was God that had opened the door to the Gentiles. It was because of God that many came to believe and that many churches were planted. It was God that made sure that nothing would hinder the gospel from being spread out in that region. And this is very important. Because if you are on God's side, if we remember that it is God's mission that we are engaged with, then we don't have to be the most amazing missionaries ever. We don't have to be a Hudson Taylor, a Elizabeth Elliot, a Barnabas, a Paul. All you have to be is someone who loves Jesus. Someone who has been washed clean from their sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. Someone who no longer lives themselves, but for God. Someone who is a Christian. And if you're a Christian here tonight, then you have a story to tell. If you're a Christian here tonight, then you've got a story to tell of the transforming power of the gospel. You can tell people the gospel. So the question is not, can I tell people the gospel? But will I tell people the gospel? Am I willing to share the gospel even though we may divide our friendship groups, our family? Am I willing, even though I may face opposition, personal slander, smear campaigns, am I willing to tell people the gospel? And you don't have to travel to other countries like Paul and Barnabas did to engage with mission. You don't have to go off to China like Cousin Taylor. You do not have to go to the Amazon like Elizabeth Elliot. All you have to do is walk out that front door. And there you will find 450,000 unreached people who do not know Jesus, who do not know the gospel, who do not know the transforming power of this gospel that we hold so dearly. If you're a Christian here tonight, then you're a missionary. If you love Jesus, then you are on a mission to tell people about Jesus about why you love them. You're on mission. So are you willing to do that? Are you willing to keep going despite the cost? If you are, then great. If you are, then expect the opposition. Expect the division and keep going. If you are, then know the context of your hearers. Meet them where they are at and keep going. If you are, remember who you're on mission for. Remember whose side you're on, the almighty creator God, and keep going. And if you are, then pray. Pray for God to give you opportunities to share the gospel this week. Pray for each other as we engage in mission together as a church. Pray for our new elders. Pray that we will all speak boldly for the Lord and proclaim his gospel. Pray and keep on going. 
by the grace of God, there will be fruit. By the grace of God, we'll see many people come to believe. By the grace of God, we will see churches planted in Edinburgh and Scotland and throughout the world for his glory and his glory alone. You can and you must be a part of that great work. Are you willing to count the cost? Are you willing to engage in mission? Are you willing to tell people about Jesus? Let's pray.